0: One night, I was partying with a friend. I had some drinks, and they offered me um, some some acid LSD. Um, I took one, two, maybe three hits. I don't even know. But, but 14 hours later, I was sitting in a bathtub with running water, blasting calming music. And I was at the end. I mean, I... I know how many people of friends of mine who've made it to that moment, right? And they made a different choice, and they're not here today.
1: On this episode of This One's On Us, acclaimed bartender, author, and wellness coach Derek Brown calls in from Washington, D.C. to share his story and how he's changing the way we drink with his new venture, Positive Damage, Inc. As always, first I embarrass myself with a dating story, Pedro goes to another sober concert and shoots his shot in a Whole Foods. Okay, enjoy.
2: All right, we're live.
1: We live. Hola, bienvenidos. A this one's on us.
2: <laughs> we're such bad Mexicans, we can't even translate that without overthinking. <laughs> I what know. the fuck is it?
1: <laughs> Esto es en nosotros. No, <laughs>
2: I, I ain't even. I ain't even gonna try. Man. <laughs> and I gotta make. I, for those of you at home, we both have our. I have a Mexican soccer jersey, on, a Mexico soccer jersey on. Israel's a Mexico jacket on Woo-hoo! because our, our 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 people played this morning against Poland, and it was a freaking tie, zero zero.
1: Okay, so me and my mom were wondering this because we were watching this morning. What? Why don't they go to penalty? kicks or what not penalty kick why don't think that's a great
2: question (laughs) right like is
1: that Uh, only in the finals or something
2: yeah i think so i don't know i honestly i'm not the biggest soccer fan so i don't know why they didn't do that i'm I'm guessing it's like i think it's because of like the early stages to see like who advances i don't know
1: how would they know it's zero zero i was sitting there it ended and i was like well they're ranked they're ranked oh okay
2: Mexico was ranked like, I think, 13 or something like that. And then Poland was like 26. So I don't don't know, man.
1: All right. Well, regardless, we're there for our people. We're up early. Yeah. To watch the game. Viva Mexico.
2: Yeah, I was I saw a friend of mine had posted um, like some videos in Qatar how like with like mariachis and you know the whole Mexican fan base that flew out there and like dancing in the streets and I was thinking like don't you get like thrown in jail for that shit because you know how like there's all that stuff that's saying like you can't like you can't drink anymore at the games and obviously in that area there's like super strict rules against like homosexuality and PDA and all that shit and they were like dancing all you know
1: yeah. Freaky
2: and shit in the streets. So I don't know what, what the rules are, or but
1: that's yeah. also
2: some fucked up stuff.
1: I saw some videos of, like, someone in the streets, like, get, doing the thing where they're yelling out, like, tamales, <laughs> like, esquites, <laughs> <and>, like, <laughs> advertising. It was so funny. They're, like, they're making the Mexico team feel at home.
2: So I don't know. I hope, hopefully, uh, none of our people get, get arrested or stoned or, you know, nothing bad happens because they're very strict over there and corrupt one of one of our our buddies was telling me that he had read that like it's like over 600 people died helping make those stadiums holy
1: shit um
2: and it was also built on slave labor so there was like they were putting people like 30 people this is not even exaggeration 30 people into these like apartments Mm -hmm. basically the size of like my apartment 30 people like horrible sanitary conditions and they oh took God. their passports away.
1: What the so fuck? like
2: you can't flee. Yeah. It's like, it's literally slave labor. Um, so it's, it's messed up because you think about this being like one of the, you
1: Biggest. know, most
2: popular events in the world yeah. next to the Olympics. Some might even say this is bigger because, Yeah. I don't know, I feel like this is just is. So, so much more of an intense fan base.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And like there's such... All this, you know, corruption behind building the stadiums and all the labor behind it, and yeah. also what the country, what that country does, and how you know they're against any w- women's rights, and human rights. With that being said, let's talk about you and what no. you did over the weekend.
1: No, no, we're <laughs> starting with you. This we're starting with you this go around. Last weekend, I exposed myself and my my wild ways um you're,
2: you're recu- recuse recusing yourself yeah from this okay so
1: we'll talk about your weekend uh, what did you get up my to weekend see?
2: wasn't there, there there wasn't anything crazy it was pretty mellow but i did get a last get two last minute tickets to go see elton john's uh Woo. concert at, the, at dodger stadium which has always been like a bucket list for me and there's you know there's the picture of elton john in that mm-hmm. very like dodger uniform yeah. from 1975 with all bedazzled Sequins. and sparkly yeah it was all sequenced out so that like i've seen that picture a million times and um a buddy of mine had um bought tickets for his mom she couldn't go at the last minute he couldn't go because of work so i took him off his hands and <laughs> yeah it was yeah, it was fucking dope um
1: well and not I mean, just any concert it's this farewell tour
2: yeah farewell farewell tour at dodger stadium
1: that's so know. dope uh
2: bought some merch of course shout out to the 75 dollars t-shirts um and yeah it was good people watching
1: are we gonna um, see um, and the I left the merch on the gram i didn't see it
2: oh uh yeah I'll, I'll, I'll time it to you know Dodgers 2023 season. You can't okay. just like... You can't wear it right away. It's like, you know, you don't want to yeah, wear your, right. your brand new clothes the first day of school and the first week of school. You got to like, you know, base yeah. it out.
1: I got you. Um, Except the first so time I saw... wear it in like
2: six months, seven months.
1: The first time I saw Beyonce, I was so excited to see it that and i got there a little bit late and there was only an extra large t-shirt left and i put i wore the shirt during the concert i was crying on I oh, floor, that's embarrassing floor, I, had, I know so embarrassing <laughs> i had floor tickets and i was down there literally crying wearing like a tiny dress so i had this extra large t-shirt on me so it looked like I wasn't wearing any clothes except for the t-shirt and like my little heels and I was down there just like oh my god Beyonce (laughs) the Mrs. Carter tour looking like a little thotty looking like a thotty a (laughs) hundred percent the Staples Center RIP Staples Center yep
2: well you know I I I just learned recently that it is bad taste to wear the concert t-shirt at the concert that's like (laughs) That's a, a no-no. That's a big, but well, no-no. You could,
1: you could take that up with my 21-year-old fangirl self. <laughs> I didn't give a fuck. Oh, <laughs> the single ladies. All the yeah, single ladies. Yeah, literally. I'm like, oh my God. Honestly, we got so close though. She was like 12 feet away from me. I hope she saw me crying like a fool.
2: <laughs> <laughs> she don't give a shit Yeah, she you. don't yeah. give
1: <laughs> um, I'm so jealous though about Elton.
2: Yeah, it was... It was cool. Super, super good, like high production value, obviously, because he's the queen that we only recognize around here. And uh, that was that was my Friday night. And the only other thing I I mean, I had some friends over to watch the UCLA USC game, Cooked my bomb ass chicken.
1: I would Um, watch a Pedro cooking YouTube channel 100 percent. Let's make this happen.
2: Oh, yeah. I'd be dancing, too. I'd be I dancing know. in the kitchen and shit.
1: Your playlist would be fire. Oh, my God. Let's make this happen. Playlist. And
2: I us- I always listen... When I- well, not always, but for the most part, I'm- I listen to, like, cumbia music. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, like, shaking my hips in my little ass kitchen and seasoning that chicken. Mm-hmm. Dude, mm-hmm.
1: I think we got yeah. something
2: there. It-, it gets very passionate. Yeah. Peri- Maybe we can do peri- it this peri- one's on. This boy, will this boyos on us. Right oh
1: wait, boyo y periando con Pedro. There it is.
2: Oh. Yo, the Triple P show the baby. Triple
1: P. Damn, you see that? Ideas. Woohoo.
2: <laughs> All right. Somebody talk to Maddie Matheson. <laughs> let's 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 get this.
1: Who's that? Let's get signed.
2: You don't know Matt Maddie Matheson? He's that big old chef dude that like like he's always with like the uncle Polly boys and um, he has like, he's had like cooking shows on vice and okay, yeah, yeah. he's all over the place. You know who I'm talking about, right?
1: Yeah. I think we have different algorithms, but I do know who you're talking about.
2: <laughs> Since my life is boring now, that's all I have for, for my week, what I did last weekend. Um, tell me about, tell me about your dating life, girl.
1: Well, okay. First I want to say that, um, My next tattoo actually is based on that tiny dancer song because I want a little, literally like a little tiny ballerina so that it's literally a tiny dancer, (laughs) um, because that, so my favorite, my favorite movie is almost famous. Um, I saw it for the first time when I was like 12 or something in middle school and it changed my life. Um, because It just, you know, like, the soundtrack's so good, and it's based in San Diego, um, so, like, as a little rebellious, you know, 12, 13-year-old, that was, like, my shit, because I loved music, and it was just based here, and me and my best friend in middle school would, like, watch it all the time, and, um, there's a famous scene where they're singing Tiny Dancer in it, so it just, like, Mm. it's, like, very much tied to, like, how I started listening to just, like, good music, I guess, um, So that's my next tattoo.
2: Where where are you going to get it? Where's it going to be placed? That's that's the big question.
1: I don't know. I mean, all of mine are only on my arms and, like, hands. So I think it would still just be somewhere on my, like, forearm here. But I got to get in contact with my dude. He's in L.A., and he's kind of just, like, he hasn't been... Doing tattoos for a while, so. If anyone has Is he avoiding you? Because he's like, he's like,
2: this bitch keeps on hitting me up for the tiniest tattoo. Yeah, it takes it's like me wasting my hour time. set time. You know it ain't worth it. <laughs> okay,
1: time. well now I'm insecure, like... thinking that's the reason. But <laughs> other pe- <laughs> other people haven't gotten a hold of him either. Yeah
2: it's like a tupperware party he's like bring four friends and yeah then and then well, i'll come was, to you guys he
1: was doing that we were setting it up um at my friend's house i'm doing no names on the pod do you
2: oh i was about to say shout out to mm, 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 but <laughs> if you don't if you don't want to, i don't care i'm shout out to all the homies out there
1: yeah um no we were doing it at her house and we were I I mean I get like three at a time, three little tiny guys, and my my approach is I have like a general idea or I have like this feeling I'm like I want another tattoo, and I don't pick it until two seconds before I sit down. I'm like okay this is what I want. <laughs> that's been my method, and no regrets so far, honestly.
2: It's so goth of you.
1: Hella punk rock. Okay. Anyway, so well, that's thank you why for that. let, thank you for that
2: update. Let us you're let us know when you get it.
1: That's why I was really jealous of Elton because it's. Farewell tour. It's epic.
2: Okay. Yeah. Don't keep us wait. Don't keep us waiting any longer. I need to, I want to hear the dating updates.
1: Oh my god. Okay, so last time we talked about how I rejoined Raya and I was getting my you know, getting my Barons back on the space and then I said that I updated my profile. So on I think it says like retired party girl, part-time brunette and something something. And then it says that I started a podcast about going sober and then parentheses ish, like sober ish. Cause I'm obviously not sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, um, <laughs> I, um, so I went out, I ended up going on a date and the world just manifested itself because I've been joking around that my dream, <laughs> that my dream man is like, maybe, like, 10, 20 years older. He's a cowboy. He lives in Mon- he <laughs> lives in a ranch in Montana. And he, like, I'm there most of the year, but I also go back and forth to L.A., but he kind of stays there. And he, like, you know, leaves me alone. Like, he thinks I'm really crazy, but, like, laughs. He's like, that's my woman. <laughs> like, like, that's, so I've been joking oh around. God. And then, obviously, we were talking about, like, baseball players. And guess what the universe did? Delivered me a fucking cowboy. Sent you a subpar baseball <laughs> player. <laughs> <laughs> he plays for the Seattle Mariners. I don't want to expose him. Wait,
2: wait, wait! You cut! You cut out! You need to! You need to say that louder.
1: No, I'm not gonna expose. Who, do, who does he play for? I'm not gonna expose the team he plays for. Sure. But he, he plays on a a team so he is professional
2: he's not he's, he's not like a like a, a, yes. a double a okay no no
1: no. he's the real deal and um he is from tennessee so um he... you're the only 10 i see <laughs> so he's literally like a cowboy baseball player so the universe like sent me a man like what i've been manifesting just to test me so out this, this boy's white he's white we got a caucasian he's a Caucasian. Um, And okay, okay, but listen, so he said something from the very beginning. He was like, I noticed like you said, you like went sober ish. Like that's what stood out. And then as it turns out, he is religious. Like he's like, that's his thing. So, that's why he like wanted to talk to me because he I think he was think hoping that that was like part of my reason religious. too yeah so I was like okay this is interesting nerd like, alert okay <laughs> let's not get jealous <laughs>
2: uh, I'm not jealous of a of a, of a religious nerd okay uh,
1: um we're no, not God, we're okay. not being mean to our to our dates yeah. here okay unless yeah they do yeah something we could have terrible. some
2: listeners that are that are. We could have some listeners that are... Well, really
1: I tough, respect so. Shout and out I to rock...
2: JC, the big man upstate. I
1: respect in I rock with, you know, religious people. Of course, that's your thing, whatever, as long as you're not problematic. But I was yep. like, you know, I think that just fundamentally we're probably really different. It was just like interesting because I didn't really think that that would be something that people would make assumptions of. So, and it's like, obviously no, they don't know anything about me besides what I'm explicitly putting out on this profile, right? Like it's my pictures and then it's that. And then actually I like Raya, cause it lets you put like a bunch of songs on there and like, that's important to me. So I feel like I'll always look at what people's like profile songs are and I'm able to determine like what kind of person they are, you know? Um, and So yeah, I didn't even think that that would be something that people make assumptions of until then the other person that I was like, okay, this person's cool. He's like in front, he lives here in Estee and he's like a designer dude. And I like, I just liked his vibe and style. So I was like, I'll like entertain this. And he said the exact same thing. He was like, um... I asked me what I was doing this weekend, and I said something about what I was doing on Sunday. And he was like, No church, lol. Like, he was kind of like going in jokingly at first, and I was like, Nah. <laughs> and he was like, Oh. And then the way he <laughs> responded, I was like, Are you? And he was like, Yeah, like today I'm traveling. And I was like, Oh, that. That's cool, and he was like, I I don't know, I just kind of thought because he would mention like you don't drink, and he's like I don't either, um because of that he's like sometimes I will like I'll have a few cocktails, but I've never really been a partier just because I'm, you know, a a rock with (laughs) JC, and I was like wow rocks with JC, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I don't know it was it's been enlightening that that's an assumption people can make. I don't think anything else about my profile would make people think that, but maybe they think I'm like a (laughs) born again since I quit the party life or something. I don't know.
2: I'm not a regular youth pastor. I'm a cool youth cool
1: youth pastor. Well, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it's been very interesting.
2: Wow. I didn't even think, I never like put that together of people correlating sobriety with religion. But which I guess it 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 definitely makes sense. But I I haven't been I haven't like thought about that, Oh man. I think I'd rather people think that I was like a crazy alcoholic versus a religious (laughs) like like a a religious freak. So is uh, Baseball Bay, is he like not drinking at all or does he like have a sip of, of booze here and there?
1: Um, he said he stopped drinking like a month or two ago and because he had been drinking like every single day during the season and, um, and he just moved to San Diego. So he was like kind of just exploring being healthy, taking it off. But it sounded like he he grew up in like a conservative, religious household and so I think he he just like saw that on my thing I was like oh let me just see if this person is also you know in that same phase or like maybe also religious or exploring that so I don't know it was just like very eye-opening to be like that that's what people assume um Super nice and great, though, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, I don't think I'm going to be walking down that aisle soberly to Baseball (laughs) Bay.
2: All right. Well, I'm pulling for you. I want you to get Baseball Bay, and this way you don't have to work anymore.
1: No, that's that's not what's important to me.
2: Oh, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Don't lie. You ain't got to lie, Craig. You ain't got to oh lie. Oh, my
1: God. Give me a little more credit. I'm out here trying my damn best. What are you doing?
2: <laughs> Ooh. What am I not doing, girl? Shit.
1: Okay. You said you Anyways, were going right. to have an update on um, flirting with people. Oh. Oh, actually, yes.
2: Pants. I. No, I actually, I, I, I totally forgot. I do have a story. I can't believe I fucking forgot this. I that. do have a story, so I I did try to ask somebody out.
1: Okay, how'd it go?
2: Yeah. Okay. So a few days ago, I went to I went to Whole Foods to get a smoothie, and mm-hmm. I ordered my I, this is I can't, I can't believe it, I forgot about this. Okay, I ordered the smoothie, waiting for it. As I'm waiting, this girl like walks into this walks the smoothie area with her mom. Mm-hmm. um and they both have masks on and so whatever they see that I'm kind of like where the line area is and so the girl like comes kind of comes up to me and is like are you in line and i was like oh no like i already ordered i'm good go for it and then she's like oh okay well um okay i just checking because like my mom i'm so sorry she's like confused cuz her mom was kind of like wandering around and looking at the menu so she's basically like apologizing for her mom for being kind of a scatterbrain and all over the place. And I was like, oh no, it's all good. Totally cool. And when she like prefaced the thing about her mom, it totally made me think of that's something that I would say because my mom's very similar, where like she doesn't know how to like do things in public, I feel like. <laughs> and so it just caught my attention that she was like apologizing for her mom and she was being very sweet. So she orders a drink and, um, She's waiting for her drink. Her mom like walks away and so the girl's like a few feet away from me and I was like, "Okay, like she's cute. Let me like maybe this is it. Let me just like see what's up." I I don't know how I got the courage, but I know it was we were kind of talking about it. So like I like walk a few steps closer and I was like, "Hey, um I thought it was like really sweet that you're, you know, looking after your mom. Aww. My mom is like the same exact way." Um and I I just said, I hope this doesn't sound weird, but would you be interested in uh, getting lunch and like exchanging numbers sometime? Mind you. And like my heart is beating like crazy. I'm just like, this is so fucking scary. But in my mind, I was like, she was such a sweet woman, right? Like, she, at least if she turns me down, it'll be fine. Dude, girl pulls her, ma- remember she has masks, pulls her masks down. She smiles. She has braces and she goes, oh my God thank you so much but i'm 19 and i was like oh my god what the fuck like dude, sh- i felt like a goddamn predator dude i was what? like i never asked a girl out again oh yes, my god yes dude she her and her mom both had masks on so oh. i couldn't tell like she looked no- like i thought she was maybe like you know 33 35 <laughs> like dressed normal you know it was 10 a.m. So clearly, I was like, "She's an adult. She's not in school or nothing." <laughs> Yo, she would, bra- 19 year old would brace. Nineteen-year-old brace it, which is totally fine. But you know, look into an Invisalign girl. Um. Anyways, I I don't think I'm ever gonna ask a girl out again.
1: Well, why like, would that's you? Two not-
2: year, that's two. That's two years.
1: That's had two had years away from being illegal. You had a lot of faith in that mask, like you. Like, how did you not? think like oh i'm gonna wait to see when she looks like without a mask on
2: well because she's not gonna pull her like take her mask off in the store like she was what gonna was keep she it wearing? on like, well oh god <laughs> I mean, she was, no <laughs> she was wearing just nor- like yoga black pants, pants and guess. then uh she had a crop top <laughs> And there was there was kind of like an anime character.
1: Oh my fucking it. god! Uh, she had a fucking backpack no. too.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, she did have a what backpack. The fuck? <laughs> but it wasn't like a JanSport school backpack. It was like a trendy, like tiny backpack that you know how like those kind of came back in style like three years ago. So I was like, oh, maybe she's just like like artsy-ish. And I mean, she was Asian, um, so like you know, Asians look very young. You know they got good skin.
1: Jesus, dog! I'm
2: never asking nobody out ever again. Fuck that shit! Don't ask
1: somebody out with the backpack and anime character on and a (laughs) mask.
2: I just thought she was artsy. I was like, she's probably like a graphic designer that lives in Silver Lake that's just up here with her mom or some
1: shit. You're out here making assumptions. <laughs> okay, well, I think you needed to like have a maybe just a little more small talk before you asked that and then realize in horror <laughs> that she
2: was... That she can't, that she can't even legally she can't drink. She
1: order a drink at the bar. <laughs> oh my God. I'm yeah. literally crying. Yeah. You know... Yeah. I'm so sorry you, that you, happened. my heart
2: probably stopped like 5 beats as soon as I saw those the hard wire in her mouth. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Oh my god, you fucking crazy." Dog. That shit. Is, I'm done. I'm done with this. Yeah, it's not that funny. It's it's it's, yes, pathet- it's it's scary.
1: It's not. She's 2
2: years away from being illegal. <laughs>
1: You did it wrong. You needed to like have some small talk and then like establish that.
2: I, you're it the was, one that just said okay. you're not about small talk. I
1: on like online, like in a dating app, but in person, you need to have like I, <laughs> whatever. I'm not yelling at you. That's good that you did that, but um, I'm sorry that happened,
2: <laughs> yeah, dude. I got my smoothie with like, and then like 30 <laughs> seconds later, they're like, peanut butter, with. chocolate, go, go nut smoothie ready. And I just grabbed that bitch and fucking
1: I fast walked so <laughs> And then so they call out hers and home. it's fucking kid sized.
2: <laughs> Who ordered the My Little Pony um, raspberry smoothie?
1: Oh Fuck. no. Well, I'm proud of you regardless. Don't let it disca- <laughs> do not let it discourage you. I'm sorry that I laughed hysterically. <laughs> uh,
2: okay. <sighs> you win some Maybe and you're you just lose them. Have all the luck.
1: I'm out here giving out I heart Jesus as my homeboy vibes. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: born again Christian, Isabel.
1: <laughs> when did this turn into like our dating horror stories? Well, that was. Saturday for me, that was. Um, they went on. The,
2: the so the Saturday, day. you went on the date.
1: Mm-hmm. And it was cool. Okay. It lasted like a long time. Like we had a great time, but I just think fundamentally, by the end, we're like, yeah, we're really different. I went to a concert on Sunday. Um, there's been this big festival down here in San Diego called the Wonderfront Festival. And I had some friends who had some free VIP wristbands. Every single episode, we have <laughs> some free tickets to shows. Um, but yeah, so I got to go to that. And my friends came and let me in. They were already wasted by the time I got there. But um, these are my friends who are were best friends with my college ex-boyfriend passed away last year so we're like kind of just family for life you know and they're they're protective of me because you know we that's how they knew me and we've just been friends since we were like 19 Mm. years old so um yeah they're they're good homies but yeah they were hammered by the time I got there and I got a diet coke and, um, it was so fun so you did drink at all. I didn't drink at all. No, I didn't have a sip. And I was like backstage at one point and we're in the VIP section. There's like all this stuff, but it was like, I don't know, just the fact that they had been partying all day and like all weekend. Cause they were at that festival and I was like, just there for the vibes. And it was a really cute vibes. Like it was all <laughs> along the water. And, um, uh, yeah, no, I just got a little diet Coke. They were giving out free lacroix, lacroix, lacroix. <laughs> Um. So I had some of those. And you felt.
2: You felt like. Did you feel super responsible when you left? And you're like, yeah,
1: I felt. I felt fucking amazing because on the way out, I like stopped. We stopped into one like DJ set, and it was just the perfect way to end it. And I was just like wilding out this like techno DJ set. Um. And it was like the funnest. It got my heart rate up, and then took my ass home, and it was super fun.
2: Heart rate up without cocaine.
1: <laughs> yeah. It gave me the confidence to like do that again.
2: Hell yeah. I'm proud of you. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool.
1: My they don't do drugs anymore because my ex boyfriend died from a bad Xanax pill last year.
2: Oh, that's really it was sad. Laced in I mean, it's unfort it, i it's unfortunate that something tragic like that has to happen for people yeah. to you know stop but good for your friends for for you know calling it quits yeah uh,
1: um well i'll be in la and seeing you this week because it's thanksgiving
0: oh
2: yeah you coming back to la uh, mm-hmm. yeah thanksgiving week well i'm going to be i'm going to be in ventura with the fam but the day I get back, um, we about to we about to link, son.
1: Yeah, IRL.
2: Isabel and I are gonna check out another non-alcoholic store. What's it called?
1: Soft Spirits uh, on Sunset Boulevard.
2: Yeah, yeah, Soft Spirits in Silver Lake. We're gonna go check that out, see what offerings they have. You know, get educated a little bit more on the non-alcoholic aperitifs and digestifs. Mhm. Look at us. Look at us learning new words. (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) I
1: feel like there's something about like going into those stores. It's just like the whole experience in real life or like the whole thing is about not drinking. I don't know. It's nice. It's exciting. So I'm excited.
2: Well, happy Thanksgiving week, everybody. Um, When this comes out, Thanksgiving would have already passed. So hopefully you didn't get into any like horrible conversations with the family about (laughs) politics. Uh, Well, actually, no. Fuck that. I hope you did. And I hope... You taught your racist and homophobic uncles something new. Yes. Um, I hope you
1: challenge them with some facts yeah, and worldviews. let's views.
2: Disrupt, disrupt the dinner table. Fuel. Gobble, gobble, bitches. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this shit up. All I...
1: right. As most of you guys know, I lived in D.C. for two and a half years. While I was there, I worked at a trendy mistel bar and restaurant on the weekends, On the same block as that restaurant was a beautiful award-winning bar called Columbia Room. I kept up with the bar on Instagram until a couple months ago, I noticed that the content was changing. Columbia Room had officially been sold to new owners and the previous owner, Derek Brown, was launching a new venture. Along with being one of the most acclaimed bartenders in the country, Derek Brown is an author, wellness coach, and no and low alcohol cocktail expert. And his new company, Positive Damage, is creating a culture of mindful drinking and making room for everyone at the bar with delicious no and low alcohol drinks. Derek, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much, as well. Nice to be here.
1: Thank you. Nice to meet you. Are you, um, you're calling from D.C. then, I'm assuming.
0: That's right. I'm sitting in Capitol Hill in uh, Washington, D.C., where it's a little chilly here right now,
1: honestly. (laughs) I do miss, I miss the, I'll tell you, I miss the fall and I miss wearing jackets, but I don't miss by the time it becomes like February and it's freezing and sad outside. (laughs) But I do miss this time of year for sure.
0: Yeah, I completely relate to that. or understand
1: that, yeah. (laughs) Did you um, grow up in D.C. or where did you grow up?
0: So I was born in Washington, D.C., and then grew up in Olney, Ashton, Maryland, which is about 45 minutes outside of D.C. So I I grew up really close here, and um, I kind of always identified with D.C., but as an adult, I moved back to D.C. because I went to school um, in uh, uh, Georgia. Um, I moved
1: back to D.C., and then it's been my home ever since. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your childhood growing up in Maryland? What was, what was that like?
0: Yeah, so, um, well, I, uh, I, I snuck out a lot, I think is the, <laughs> the short, uh, short answer. I, there is a bus, I think it's the uh, Z2, if I recall, that goes from um, Olney, from, uh, uh, Ashton, Maryland, all the way to Silver Spring, where there's a, a red line stop where I would get on and I would go to various punk clubs as a kid, right? So at the Mm -hmm. time there is the Safari Club, which was a hardcore punk uh, show matinees during the day. In the evening they had go-go shows. And for those of you outside of the D.C. area, I want to explain what a Go-Go show is because right now they're imagining women in like high boots or something like that. No, Go-Go is a Washington, D.C. music invented in D.C. that is the most sampled music in hip hop. It is um, a very rhythmic music uh, that is kind of call and response in a lot of it. Um, Some of the the most popular bands are Trouble Funk or EU. EU had a a popular hit that a lot of people know called Doing the Butt. Um, And and Nelly in Hot in Here sampled Chuck Brown, who is the godfather of Go-Go. So Go-Go is a, look it up. It's not, it's not just like 60s uh, um, Austin Powers scenario. Um, So then there was all these other various clubs, you know, uh, that were, that were like, you know, hosting punk and, hardcore shows. Uh, And and DC, you know, while I'm I'm explaining music here too, I might as well say DC was a a rich area for hardcore and punk music. We had a Mm -hmm. band here called the Bad Brains. They still exist. The the people still exist behind it, um, which is one of the most influential rock bands that most people don't know. Um, And they were, to me, the greatest punk band of all time. Them. I'll, I'll fight any on the street who said otherwise. <laughs> Before this, we, we all talked about vulnerability. Um, so I'll just share that with the audience. But I'm going to be pretty vulnerable here because I think there's a lot of my story that goes into that. Um, and for me, I grew up in a suburban household, um, a loving mother and uh, a challenging stepfather. Um, and it was one of those places where everything looked fine on the outside but inside was chaos like in the sense that you know my parents were always at each other's throats my stepfather could be emotionally and sometimes physically abusive um it led to you know me feeling very much uh, alone and alienated um and also like there was this weird double standard you know like in the house they were screaming at each other but i walked outside of the house and everyone was like we're cool. It's cool. Let's be cool, you know. But it wasn't mm-hmm. cool, was it? So when I heard uh, the Sex Pistols for the first time, which I think is the first punk song I heard, um, when the the lyrics were like "fuck this" and "fuck that" and "fuck all this fucked up crap," <laughs> I mean, like it sounds almost like a, a like a parody of punk at this point. But it was mm-hmm. like an amazing revelation to me because all of a sudden I was like, "That's what's going on." Like, I, mm-hmm. you're telling the truth. You're making this internal reality. An external reality and, and that I appreciated greatly and in many ways I credit with saving my life. And I think a lot of people will say that that punk rock saved their life, but it's especially true for me. And so when I when a friend of mine, his name is Glenn Burns, we're still really great friends, um, invited me to like hang out at some punk shows. I went there with wide eyes and I found a community. You know, I found a group of people, like you said, who who didn't drink. You know, like Mm. I think the image of punk is like these wasted guys sitting on the corner with leather jackets and mohawks. But instead they were like kind of look like jocks and they were like jumping off the stage and um, Mm. screaming about positive messages. (laughs) I remember once my, my stepfather was like, what is that devil music? You know, and the song was literally called Positive Outlook. It was about friendship. It was about being connected to who you are. And I was like, that's, you know, just because it has that loud and fast, aggressive tone to it doesn't mean that it doesn't say something incredible and wonderful and to me that was i i needed that message i needed Mm -hmm. that message to be able to um sustain me not just at that point in my life but for the rest of my life and i'll I'll share that later but but so so this is this community that i found and they were just as fucked up as any other human beings you know like just because you don't drink doesn't all of a sudden make you a good person but um (laughs) it does definitely, you know, it did lead me into some habits and behaviors that I think um, would later I'd lose for a little bit, but while they were there, they really, really helped
1: me. I guess I never even really thought about it. It's like, it's so therapeutic. And like I mentioned earlier, before we started, like I'm on this sort of new journey of therapy. And it sounds like, like when you find that outlet that helps you put into words, like you said, what you've, what's been going on, even when you don't even realize it, it's so powerful. So it's, it's so interesting to hear that that outlet is, is punk rock for a lot of people, you know? Yeah.
0: That, um, that band that I mentioned earlier, the bad brains,
1: mm-hmm. they
0: had a sort of slogan and a song called PMA, which stands mm-hmm. for positive mental attitude. And the idea oh. is very much a part of, I, I study positive psychology at Penn right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like the home of positive psychology. Dr. Martin Seligman was the sort of father of positive psychology, and um, that's what they talk about as well. You know, so it's amazing that these messages that I'm studied in depth now were mm-hmm. really, you know, I guess I knew a lot better when I was 14 than I than I knew uh, <laughs> in other parts of my life.
1: Yeah, that's so cool to get that um, to get that so early on, and then be able to access it now. Um, so I know you were in the straight edge culture and then you eventually found yourself in the crazy world of the hospitality industry. At what point in your life was that and sort of what led you into, um, into, into the bar world? Well, when I was 16,
0: almost 17,
1: my parents got
0: divorced and it was not Mm. like a pretty scenario, Mm. um. That one I won't go into much detail because I don't think it's relevant. But <laughs> but I left the I left my house. I left okay. the house at, at at a young age, and I, I stayed with my brother in Maryland, and I found a job at a place called BJ Pumpernickels, which is a, a Jewish <laughs> deli in Allentown, Maryland. And this was just as strange and compelling as the world of hardcore punk, right? I think one of the like mm-hmm. the greatest poets of this. Uh, band of misfits is Anthony Bourdain, Rest in Peace. You know, like he talked yes. about a lot that the, the people who live in this world of hospitality, they are truly messed up humans, but really vulnerable, generous and incredible people too. So um, I learned a lot about life part two mm-hmm. after the straight edge punk scene when I was still just a kid from kitchens mm-hmm. and bars and restaurants. And so I, I have to say that's not the healthiest environment to learn about that, especially because, <laughs> you know, alcohol and drugs are rampant. Mental health issues are, are basically unaddressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have, you know, this scenario that's, a, a you know, where you're getting money every night. Um, okay. And it sets up a lot of a lot of crazy situations. And um, and so yeah, when I when I found that, I I did I found a home there too. And I remember I worked in the um, the back is a a salad prep. Um, and uh Barry Schwartz, who owned the place uh, uh, just a larger-than-life character. Um, I was talking one day in the kitchen, he grabbed me by the ear and he pulled me out to the front counter, the deli counter. And he's like, Here, put your mouth to wor- where it like actually works. <laughs> and so now I was like, slicing tongue and like serving Kasha Varnishkas. I, you know, a Catholic boy, I had no idea of this world of Jewish food and I've loved it ever since, you know, like I still like, you know, anytime I go to New York, I sneak into Yono Shimmel's and get a like a k- Kanish because I'm like, that's where it's at. Um, <laughs> and, and so I think that like, I fell in love with it ever, all of it hook, line and sinker. And that was good and bad, right. It was, yeah. it was good. And, and, you know, one thing I've, I neglected to say, I think it's a really important part of the story because I realized I just started jumping ahead. My father was an alcoholic, you know, and he mm-hmm. had left my family when I was very young. So that's why when I mentioned my stepfather, he mm-hmm. was a, a, somebody different. My father and, and we're back, you know, we have a relationship now. And he's a, a person who really focuses on recovery for people uh, in terms of, you know, alcohol, um, crystal meth, um, all of it. You know, so mm-hmm. he's he's really out there doing the Lord's work. But as far as, you know, like then I was just I was abandoned, you know, as far as I was mm-hmm. concerned. And that that led to a lot of that's one of the reasons why I'm, I was always seeking this group or community. You know, I needed to feel like I belong. Yeah. I needed a family.
1: Did you know going into sort of the subculture of. um straight edge and punk rock that you were seeking something that was not alcohol. Cause I know for a lot of us, we get our first taste of alcohol or partying like super young. And it sounds like um, you kind of avoided that because of your, your dad's alcoholism. Uh,
0: yeah, I wish it was true, but there was a little dabble here and there, you know, the straight edge period of my life was not a very long period because, you know, by okay. the time I was, you know, 16, 17, I was in restaurants and that was, when i was introduced to any manner of you know drugs alcohol and and everything everything was on the table you know it didn't matter that you were 16 everything was on the table um and you know yeah i i wasn't conscious of what i was seeking i was just like set out into the world with this hungry hungry heart you know like Mm. i just needed community i needed family i needed people And the result of that is that, you know, I would eventually just almost destroy myself, you know, <laughs> seeking that. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a, that's a hard thing to accept is to realize that, you know, you're so young and you're so, oh you know, like open to these experience, but really a part of it is just because you, you missed mm. something that you really needed when you were younger as a child.
1: I mentioned before we were recording, but I moved to DC For a relationship, and when that fell apart, the first thing I did was get a job at a bar because I knew I could Mm -hmm. find a community there, and that was the quickest way to make friends. And then I look back on that year of my life when I was putting myself back together after a you know seven year relationship, and I was wasted like most of the time uh, that year, you know. Um, But at the same time, I mean, I made some of my best friends in the world, and. Found that community so quickly, and it it's kind of, it's always there in every city. Um, but there's definitely that that dark side of like you said, the unchecked mental health and just the boozing is just rampant. You know, I was just gonna say if you could talk about when you realized it was you know not it was serving you more negatively than positively, or when it started to become a problem of drinking.
0: Yeah, that's the, that, that was the general problem, is that alcohol in some ways was very good to me, mm-hmm. right? Like in the sense that I had created this career out of it. Um, mm-hmm. I was now like behind the bar and I felt very confident and in control. Um, I was making cocktails. It was a creative outlet. It was a social outlet. Um, I was gaining awards and recognition for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of that was like a very positive, but... When I look back at my life, alcohol is there at the best and the worst places or worst mm-hmm. times in my life, right? It's kind of both. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I guess because of that split, you know, the fact that it was good and bad, I didn't really realize where I was at. So, I mean, I'll give you this mm-hmm. example, this story I've told before where I was a spirits judge at a world spirits competition and we were tasting hundreds of, of spirits a day. And then at night we'd go and we'd party and drink, uh, mm. pretty late, honestly. And then wake up the next morning and do it again. And then I traveled to um, Kentucky and went to different bourbon distilleries. And then I went to a craft spirits competition. And I, uh, I guess when when all is said and done, I had probably in the course of two weeks had about six hundred different spirits. Now, Jesus. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> swallow all those. I, you know, I'm not superhuman, but. Some of them were, as we say, expectorated or spit out. But the, but you know, while well tasting, but, but it's not untrue to say that I was mostly drunk during that time or intoxicated to some level. Um, and so I was in a distillery, tasting mm-hmm. various craft um, spirits, and I went in the bathroom, and I, I just, had, I was covered in sweat, my entire body like a layer of water. I'm not like saying like I was just a little sweaty. Like my shirt was soaked. And um, I felt hollow. Um, I felt like death. And it turns yeah. out, I never asked why. I actually never asked why. I just, I, after that, I like, you know, pulled myself together. I actually literally dried my clothes on the hand dryer. Um, about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, they knocked on the door. I'm like, are you all right? I was like, oh, yeah, just bad, something I <laughs> ate. But you know what had happened? And in retrospect, I looked, I looked at it. And I, I, my liver was basically... Um, about, to, about to collapse, right? Like it was overworked, to say the oh least. And it was telling me, it was heating me up and telling me, this is it. You gotta, you gotta, you know. That. So even then I did not realize that I had a problem. <laughs> That's wow. amazing in retrospect. But yeah. back then I thought I was, I guess, bulletproof. Um, it took a very um, intense evening to change my mind. And that was that one night I was partying with a friend. I had some drinks and they offered me um, some, some acid, LSD. And I mm. was game. Um, I took one, two, maybe three hits. I don't even know. But, <laughs> but 14 hours later, I was sitting in a bathtub with running water, blasting calming music. Oh, man. Jeez. And I was at the end. I mean, Ugh. I, I know how many people of friends of mine who have made it to that moment, right? And mm-hmm. they made a different choice and they're not here today. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the bottom that, that was, as I described, it's soul scraping, you know, like it was, I, I, I picked myself up. i I went back home mm-hmm. and I had a son at that time. Um, I was actually separated from my partner, but she was very generous because I was actually living outside of the house. She was very generous to let me come home. And it helped me realize what was important. But, but more importantly, along the way, it just popped into my head. Alcohol is not helping me anymore. <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. serving me anymore. It's now in the negative, right? I'm in the red instead of the black. So all of mm-hmm. the good things that, had, that come from alcohol I had wringed that cloth, and now mm. all I was going to get were the bad things. And so um, I made a choice to address my mental health. It was mm. not for me. I did not accept or understand myself to be what colloquial, call, colloquial called an alcoholic. I, I thought, okay, I, I'm going to go into um, you know an outpatient program, and they did diagnose me. Uh, with mental health issues as well as a substance use disorder, or alcohol use disorder. Okay. And um, and that helped a lot. And and I'll tell you something about that, because I think you mentioned that you were new to therapy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of people out there who don't really understand what therapy is In in, in a lot of ways. They think you know, it, it's something that's kind of like this, like intellectual endeavor, and something that like helps some people, not others. But and, and I thought that too when I was going into this outpatient program, I was like, you know what, this is ridiculous. Like they literally had a day of, um, like, ther like movement therapy. I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I I went to it i went to it and i i don't know if there could have been a better thing for me right in that moment Mm -hmm. like just moving around and like what you're doing is copying other people's movements and adding your own just something as simple as that just like really made me feel good and connected to other people and so Mm -hmm. i would never I would never have that same attitude again. Therapy, and there's all different types, right? There's talk therapy, there's art therapy, mm-hmm. there's um, internal family systems, there's, you know, positive psychology. Well, that's not really therapy per se, but you have a coaching element to that. And, and all of them are worth pursuing and looking at in terms of you just need one of them, right? As an mm-hmm. entry point. Because I think, you know, the, a lot of the, Scientific research indicates that most therapies work at the same rate, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. people just need to get started. And, and that's where I got started. And it set me on this path of life where I'm here today. One, I'm alive. Mm-hmm. Two, I'm, I'm back in the game doing something I really love. Um, I've written two books. My fa- I have a, a really wonderful, loving partner and a great son. And I feel happier than I ever have.
2: I know I've heard, you know, certain people talk about their relationship with therapy and they some people have told me that they see it as something that they're going to do for the rest of their lives. Is that how you see it as well? Or have you what's your relationship with therapy right now? Have you taken a break or are you continuing to to
0: kind of keep that practice in your life? Yeah, to some degree, it's always there. I mean, I've uh, been through a lot of different types of therapy. the the one that i think lately has really connected to me is ifs or internal family systems there's a doctor uh richard schwartz or dick schwartz um who pioneered it in the 80s and it's it's about for a lot of people they call it inner child work um but i think that 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 oversimplifies it it's just we are complex human beings made up of a lot of different parts as it were so that person that child that i was you know, when I was, you know, like so excited about this music that I was listening to in a pot, like, but I was kind of shut down by my stepfather. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that's, you know, whatever, that's, that's not, you know, cool. Um, mm-hmm. That, that hurt in such a way that that's, that hurt is still part of me, you know, like, and yeah. so that, that person, in, that part inside me is still kind of stuck in some ways in that age. And so so I really like, and, and I'm, you know, like I want to just clarify, I told people I'm uh, already that I'm studying positive psychology. I am not, that does not qualify me in any way to recommend therapy <laughs> except to say <laughs> that just this is my story, this is my experience, and this is something that is helping me, right? I think everybody has to enter it on their own terms.
1: At what point did you start to realize those values that you had learned at an early age through punk rock? Like when did that sort of start to, when did you relearn that?
0: Well, I think it just, it was always there and it just came bubbling up more to the surface. And I really realized Mm. that those values are still critical to who I am. You know, what, yeah. one of the hard things is I have a coach. She's an amazing coach. Her name's Darlene Marshall. Um, mm. And uh, she is a, uh, a MAP graduate, means a Master of Applied Positive Psychology. And she's not a therapist. She's a coach. She helps me in, in life coaching and stuff like that. And as we were talking, you know, when we first started talking there, she, she saw this sort of dilemma between this Derek Brown, who is a, you know, award-winning bartender, and this Derek Brown, who is a, you know, punk kid, they don't Mm -hmm. seem in some ways very compatible, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, so I think that that was one of the most important discoveries in my life is to Mm -hmm. recognize that those two things are compatible and those two things are me. And those two things are important um, as I go forward in life. So, so it's not. I guess I'm, what I'm saying is it's not that the punk wasn't there. It's just that there was like these kind of parts that were going back and forth. One would take over and one would stand, stand backwards. And now I kind of, I feel like I'm running the show. You know, like I'm running the mm-hmm. show from who I am at my core. And those pieces, those parts are, you know, me. Um, and I can draw from them for my values, for support um, whenever I need
2: we use the term mindful drinking and you know i've said it on on this podcast before that even though i'm not drinking now my goal is to eventually drink at some point when i feel like i have more control and respect for for alcohol i'd love for you to kind of explain what your definition of mindful drinking
0: yeah well i think mindful drinking is an incredibly simple definition it's drinking with intention right mm-hmm. so it doesn't mean you don't drink or you'll never drink it it just means that you understand why you drink right Mm. and so for some people the answer to that is i drink because i'm trying to fill some void or hole in my life that is essentially unfillable by alcohol Mm. and drugs you know um for some people they drink because it's stress or peer pressure it's fairly low level in the sense that it's not you know maybe it's not this deep abiding you know kind of trauma from their youth but it's something that um you know, I think that they, they just like are around the wrong crowd or, or they feel sort of susceptible to this peer pressure. Um, and, and that's different, you know, so maybe they just have to cut back now and then and, and, and develop interventions or, or ways that they can, you know, um, you know, be for, be more mindful in the moment. And then there's people who, you know, it's not really a problem for them and they drink because they're happy, right? Mm-hmm. They don't, there that's i think the best reason to drink is cuz you're happy because there's no you know there's no um it's not going to fix you it's not going to mm. um make you happier and and people i think they assign alcohol these magical powers that it just doesn't have
1: um mm. it is
0: a wonderful and magical molecule i'll say that and it has <laughs> some you know incredible social technology underneath it but when it comes down to it you know alcohol can't Fix or help you. It can't make you, you know, feel better about yourself. Only you can do that. And so I think that, like, that understanding those reasons is what mindful drinking is about. And there's, I have no prescription for that. I, I like, it's just the person sits down and goes, Well, why do I drink? And that's yeah. the beginning of mindful drinking. There's very good reasons, like I said, to drink, you know, if that's something that you feel comfortable doing that you've assessed your why, right? It's, uh, there's, there's celebrations that happen. Um, there are this sort of connoisseurship, you know, enjoying a great wine or, or beer. Um, there is, uh, conviviality just being part of, you know, like hanging out with friends and, and in a, a positive environment, you know, and in some cases even consecration, right? Like, I mean, there is spiritual, uh, reasons to do it there are people you know whether it's Catholic or, or Jewish and that drink as part of a ritual associated with their religion so all of those I think could be positive reasons but one thing I would say is none of those reasons need to be alcohol right so you know you can drink to celebrate with other people and drink delicious adult sophisticated beverages that are not alcohol right you can celebrate yeah they have wonderful bubbly non-alcoholic um wines now one of my favorite is thompson and scott they have one called naughty n-o-u-g-h-t-y um mm. it's delicious you could drink that and you don't have it's not the martinelli's of our childhood you know that's like <laughs> yeah. sick, sickly sweet apple cider that has gold medals on the front i'm not sure what medals one and why, but, (laughs) but, but, you know, the the Thompson Scott is actually good um, and you can feel great drinking that. Um, And what's funny is that some of the uh, positive emotions we ascribe to alcohol is actually just Mm -hmm. from being with other people, from trying something delicious from, you know, like connecting with somebody from being in a, a beautiful environment. All of those can lift us in a way that I think is really like, alcohol is unnecessary. Um, and so, yeah. so I, even though there are good reasons to drink, there also are good substitutes for alcohol and you can feel just as good.
1: Yeah. Pedro and I had a good experience recently. We got invited to go to this beautiful non-alcoholic spirit store um, in LA. And so, and we had, it it was giving that same experience that you talked about. It's sort of like the dopamine release of like checking out beautiful, the non-alcoholic wine was laid out like a gorgeous wine shop that you would walk into normally. So we were talking about that, how so much of it is that psychology. Um, But it seems like more and more of these stores and, are, and bars are popping up. How have you seen the industry change? And like, when did, when did you start to notice that it was a, it was a wider trend?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we saw the birth of it in probably 2016, 2017, though, mm-hmm. though um, both non-alcoholic bars, spirits, wine cocktails existed long before that in America. You know, there's Mm an entire movement called the temperance movement, which is one of the most um, kind of like, uh, like powerful, most powerful movement that's ever existed in the United States. It's so powerful Mm -hmm. that it led to a two amendments to the Constitution, right? So temperance was originally people who just wanted to reduce drinking. They saw a problem in America and there was a problem, right? And they wanted people to reduce drinking. And, and you know, it had advocates like Abraham Lincoln, who were not talking about um, giving it up entirely. They were talking about reducing or in some cases, you're like winding down and finding other solutions, and one of them was camaraderie or being with other people. Um, then zealots took over and that led to prohibition. Now, imagine that in the United States of America, extremists taking over a political movement. Hard to imagine. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think that, you know, like as it is in its modern form, it is a trend too. You know, it popped up in 2016, 2017. And it's been kind of gaining momentum ever since then. You had like Seedlip was a non-alcoholic spirit from UK. You had people like uh, Julia Bainbridge writing about um, serious non-alcoholic cocktails and, um, you know, a couple of years later, Athletic Brewing came in, which is now a oh, you know, yeah. sort of unicorn of brewing uh, non-alcoholic beers, and um, it's 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 now growing at such a exponential rate that it's a, amazing to watch.
1: Yeah, absolutely, it's it's crazy. Just even starting this podcast and having these intentional conversations about it, realizing more and more like how big this is, and it feels like it's kind of it's not going to slow down, you know? Um, but I'd love to, to talk about your new venture. Um, can you tell us about positive damage and and when you thought of it and how it came to be?
0: Sure. I mean, so I sold the Columbia room, which was, you know, in 2017, named the top cocktail bar in America, um, which I was very proud of, but it was also at the change in my life. Um, and so as I left the Columbia room earlier this year, I felt a tremendous weight off my back, even though I loved the place, it was a wonderful place. And everybody who worked there were so good to me and, you know, did amazing things, um, it was time to leave it behind. And so I conceived of Positive Damage ink because it's part of my life's mission. You know, like I, I want to teach America how to drink, honestly, like I want to help people find a way to drink that is healthy for them, whether it means with or without alcohol, right? And so to do that, you know, I, I wanted to create a, a company that j- just proliferates these ideas in many different ways. I mean, my areas of, of kind of practice are creating no and low alcohol cocktails I do a lot of consulting on programs for liquor stores or bars. Um, then there's, you know, um, mindful drinking which i i'm working on like a you know curriculum or courses based around mindful drinking and then wellness aspects which i which i went back and i thought were really important to this whole movement so i learned as much as i can about that too Um, and i got a a a wellness certification through the national academy of sports medicine um and so all of this has been kind of in the service of i guess an impossible dream like i mean i am an expert on no and low alcohol cocktails, I guess, and sort of a Pied Piper of that. That's what I do mainly. But a a big part of that is just getting it out there in the world and getting people to have choices, right? Like when it comes down to it, I actually don't care if somebody drinks or doesn't drink, right? That's like of no consequence to me. All I want is them to have the option to the choices that they can drink or they can do something else right have another wonderful cocktail that doesn't have alcohol or one that's low alcohol you know i call my organization a should organization not a shouldn't organization right you should spend time with other people you should celebrate you should drink delicious drinks that just happens that those don't have to be you know alcohol and they don't have to be in rapid succession six shots In the course of two hours, there's a lots of different ways to approach it and you can still have an awesome, in fact, honestly, a better time. And so, you know, my job is to provide the the things that people can do, not the things that they shouldn't do.
1: I love that mindset and I think something we've talked about too is that we're never taught to question the role of alcohol in our lives and all of a sudden you find yourself having to do a lot of self-work to even get to the point where you're questioning um, it and maybe you have been sort of internally this whole time Um, so it's really cool to see to see positive damage and what you're doing kind of with your experience and and helping um helping us all learn and question it and have a great time in the meantime so (laughs) well i have a quick
0: question for the two of you um yeah how did you learn to drink who taught you how to drink
1: you want to go pedro Uh, yeah
2: yeah i mean i i mean growing up and this is probably isn't just you know for the mexican culture but growing up in the mexican culture and you know you see your family members it's accepting to drink at a young age and i started drinking on a regular basis when i was 15 and you know as a kid going back to mexico like there's always a joke that as long as you can reach the counter you can order a drink and (laughs) no one's going to question you you know and so i would see you know my older cousins that were 14 15 drinking and so when i i always thought well once i get to that age it's totally cool and you know even you know my parents are actually pretty strict but because of, you know, the background of them drinking at a young age, they were always cool with me drinking as long as I, at a younger age, as long as I was around them. You know, I, I was 17, 18 drinking at home with them. Not, you know, I wasn't drinking, you know, crazy, uh, you know, a lot, but to them, they were like, ah, eh, you know, as long as it's in the house, I can see you. You're not drinking and driving. It's fine. It's part of our culture. And so, you know, my, my father was, you know, he was an alcoholic before I was born. And, you know, he actually decided to do AA. And then my mom basically gave him an ultimatum, like, hey, if you don't, you know, straighten out, I'm going to leave with the kids. And so, you know, he was, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that he kind of, you know, he said he basically quit cold turkey and then took about 10 to 12 years off until kind of I became a teenager. And then so he started slowly drinking again. So it was just kind of always in my in our life um mm-hmm. as at a young age. Um and so it really wasn't a big deal like, you know, being eighteen years old getting drunk because it was kind of mm-hmm. a part of the culture that, yeah. you know, you grow you grow up in. Yeah.
0: Thanks for sharing. Yeah.
1: That. For me, uh I- it was always part of, so my grandparents were um, scholars and they were professors and they were basically socialites in Austin. And they, um, I grew up just at their really interesting parties and there was wine flowing and it was like, it was very sophisticated to me. Like I always thought it was very cool. Like that's what you do when you're a sophisticated adult. Um, But my grandpa, like unbeknownst to me as a kid was, did have alcohol problems and it caused a lot of issues for his, um, him and my grandma. And so for that reason, my mom never drank. My mom was sober my whole life and still is. Um, and my dad had alcoholism in his family as well. So, but he did still drink, but not whenever we would go back to Mexico to visit his family. So it was kind of this taboo thing, but, I didn't really know it. Um, I just knew my mom didn't drink and my dad did. And then, um, but I was the oldest kid and they were, they were pretty protective, but I was the rebel kid. I was like, no, I, I loved it. I, I, I think I got drunk for the first time. I was like probably 14 or 15 and I was the party kid. Um, until I had one night where I was, um, a completely, blacked out I my um uh I was we were at a friend's house and their parents walked in and I was passed out with out with vomit all over myself and I had really I just wanted to go to the extremes with everything so I kind of slowed down for a bit after that and I was 15 sure. um yeah. and until I went to college and kind of started partying again but I wasn't taught to drink it just it wasn't ever like a ever something my parents sat down and talked to me about. It was just kind of like I figured it out. I found out it was really fun. And then I went super hard.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I, uh, thank you for sharing that. But just imagine, like both of you have these experiences where it doesn't sound like you had a lot of direction in terms of totally. what and how you should drink. Or if you did get it, it was from like slightly older kids or from college, yeah. you know? And I think that's a super common experience. And here's the amazing thing. Here's this substance who has that has built and destroyed civilizations, right? Mm, mm-hmm. And nobody's talking to us about how you should or shouldn't drink it. You know, like it,
1: in that yeah. sense, like yeah. I, I don't. I,
0: maybe I'm being a bit dramatic, but I think that like this is powerful shit. You know, like this is something mm-hmm. that people's lives have been scorched and they have ended them over. That's not. Yeah. Yep. That's not insubstantial. So why aren't people? talking about it more like in that sense why aren't people saying hey you know like they're going to sit down and, and hopefully have that talk about sex you know like they're going to say here's what sex is birds and bees so forth yeah. i hope they have more than one talk because it's, it's a complicated <laughs> subject but but then yeah. there's like what's the what's the sit down about alcohol what do you tell it? do or don't do it right do or don't totally. do it. And that's all we hear
2: Yeah. And and we've, we've talked about this before as well as, you know, kind of going back to the cultural thing, like in the Mexican families, you don't talk about sex. You don't talk about alcohol. You don't talk about drugs. You kind of just figure it out. Like, I remember my dad gave me the birds and the beast talk when I was 17 and I was like, bro, you're two years too late. Like, what the fuck? You know, like (laughs) we should have been having this a long time ago and you just, and you don't talk about therapy or like you really, and and at least, you know, kind of like the Latin culture, it's just like weird to talk about your feelings, which I know kind of goes beyond just, you know, that culture. But, you know, thankfully, you know, we also talk about how like saying you're in therapy now is like the cool thing. And <laughs> now as we have been telling our friends about, you know, our new trying to discover this new relationship with alcohol, we're also seeing our friends saying like, yeah, I, I actually like have been thinking about taking a break too. And like mm-hmm. destigmatizing so- the word sobriety or sober. Cause when you say, oh, I'm sober, people immediately are like, Oh, that person has a problem when it's right. like, mm-hmm. maybe they don't, they just want to freaking take a break for, for a minute, you know? Yeah. That's right.
0: And sometimes when you, you get this all stacked up and it put, you know, like you have a problem and so you can never drink again and you have to like apologize to everyone you've ever known and you have to believe in God and all these things, you know, it can be overwhelming when sometimes what you need to hear is start just start start maybe tonight yeah. you drink less let's just start there you know or like maybe you give it up for dry january nobody's going to question you during dry january everybody's doing it excellent you know if yeah. you think you have a problem you can hide it under the veil of dry january oh i'm just trying to lose some pounds or oh, i'm just trying to get a little healthier you know but you have that month off to really think about what your relationship is so um i'm a big advocate of just starting you know like there for some people i get it they really have to go to meeting. They really have to seek therapy. Some people, even myself have to do something more in depth, but, um, but for most people, it's just, 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 you know, get started.
1: Thank you so much for sharing all of this. And I know that it'll resonate with so many people listening. Um, can you tell us how to find you? Um, and then maybe if anyone's interested in mindful drinking in their own community, like I know you mentioned where you should start, but where can they access, um, Positive Damage, Inc., and all the good stuff you're working on?
0: So Positive Damage, Inc., uh, inc.com is where you can go to find out about events and um, consulting and uh, coaching and all the stuff that I do. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're a social media person um, on Twitter, I don't know, is anybody on Twitter anymore? (laughs) I'm still on there. Um, But but Positive DMG um, on Instagram, it's Positive Damage, Inc., And you can go on my TikTok, but I don't go on my TikTok. So I don't know what you can (laughs) do.
1: Thank you so, so much. It was so wonderful to meet you and hear your story. We really appreciate you taking this time to chat with us.
0: Thank you both. I really appreciate it uh, being invited. Thank you.